a super super blessed morning my dear friend and saints of god uh, wherever you're picking our message from a beautiful wonderful weekend is uh, my prayer uh, that you must have had but just in case anything didn't go well uh, like for instance you lost a friend or a relative or something went wrong or uh, you know you have a broken heart because of a relationship that has gone stale uh, i want to pray that the lord will be in control in every everywhere friend there is hope for uh, the tree to sprout once again even when it has been cut we have our peace in christ jesus as long as you fully trust him he surely will keep you sorted in one good peace my name is uh, uh, Reverend david kagwa that is reaching you with the word of life from uh, the holy pages of scripture and uh, permit me to pray quickly so we'll get into the message that we have for today father king of glory and lord of lords i want to bless you and thank you so much for uh, being our lord and king and friend at the same time you all that simply because of your will and love towards us O king of glory we bless you for loving us we bless the lord for being there to lead us O king of glory you shine as a beacon on the hill in our darkness as we make our way down here on earth we just cannot make it on our own we'll be swerving like a boat on a mountain sea we just cannot make it O king of glory through the the sequels of life through the waves of temptation through the fires of life but we know that we are with you we are sorted king of glory so i pray that you continue upholding us and above all settling the conditions of our hearts because you know that who we are in their hearts is exactly who we are lord we want to pray that we shall take over and take control of our hearts O king of glory from the challenges temptations and uh, corruptions and abominations of the world we want to honor you and glorify you in everything that we do and draw so many unto you i pray for my friends that are struggling with the conditions of their hearts king of glory right now what they manifest on the outside or what they put up they show they put up on the outside is not what they are in the inside on their inside i want to pray that you'll help us to streamline and align the condition of our heart unto the holy desire or and will of your word and this is our prayer because who we are in our hearts determines who we exactly are that is my prayer may your spirit come and take control in jesus my name we have prayed and believed amen 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 my friend it is a uh, Kupi Bly, I love his music. It is Kupi Bly that did a song that um, speaks about um, a lion and the hare. He calls it Wampologoma. It's in Luganda, but basically what he means is uh, that there was a very powerful but damp lion that, um, um, uh, you know, basically beset itself over each and every animal in that particular kingdom, just like, you know, these lions. And... Um, it exalted itself over each and every animal and it ate them it gave them an appointment to be eaten <laughs> basically that is what it was doing and um um off came the day of uh, the hare to be eaten and uh, as smart as it is because usually in our, our traditional folk um you know as sayings the, the hare is the smartest um so if you can remember this now when it was about to be eaten and he presents it in such a way that or this uh, folk uh, tale is given in such a way that uh, all these animals didn't have a chance of running away it basically 
um, hard to get you. Now, what the hair did was it told the lion that um, um, my, my boss, I'm not against you eating me. That is okay. But I'm hurt and wounded by this fact that there is, there is one that is trying to impose himself against you in your kingdom and you know usually your, your strongest point could be your weakest point also especially if you're driving your life apart from the lord and uh the lion said yes that is a good one who is it that is trying to come against me in my kingdom he said he looks exactly like you <laughs> you just have to go and see him he lives in the river and he said just in the river right here where i live that is impossible let's go and i check him out and the hare said yes i'll escort you just show you the spot but i fear i can't get close to him he's not as strong as you are but he looks exactly like you he said yes we'll go there let's come show me where he is <laughs> and off they went and um my friend when the lion got there he first or looked into the water and like you know exactly like you can suspect it um, uh, basically gave him a beam of his ref reflection of his picture. And basically that is what uh, came out. And the lion uh, looked at the water and uh, not knowing this was the exact reflection of his being. And uh, when he growled at, at the image, it, the image was also growling at him. When he appeared like was pouncing, the, the thing was also uh, appeared like it was pouncing at him. And then he went right straight in uh, full rage to get this enemy of his. And uh, you know that the rest is history. He simply went deep into the waters and was drowned and off. And the, the, the hair went laughing. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and look here. There is a verse that, um, uh, you know, builds exactly uh, from what we've just said there um, uh, in, in Proverbs 27 and verse 19. Listen to this. It says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Mm -hmm. As water reflects the face, so the heart reflects life or one's life reflects the heart friend here what we are saying is um, that basically when you look at the condition of your heart it is nothing short of who you exactly are today we want to look at uh, a theme that is entitled your heart of hearts who you really are or your heart of hearts is really who you are friends we've said something in connection to this when we are uh, getting um into um, when we are getting this series rolling, but this is quite different. We are speaking of your heart of hearts, especially as far as the integrity of your spiritual work is concerned. One, a man is who they really are in their heart. And uh, the wisest of men here is basically saying that your heart, your life basically is a reflection of the condition of your heart. Just like you saw uh, that unborn uh, looking into the water and basically the water reflecting who it really was, uh, it went right ahead to attack what was in the water, not knowing it was attacking itself and therefore losing its life. Friends, many people are interested in putting up a show and convincing everyone around them, not knowing that they cannot convince themselves and neither can they convince God. When God looks at you, he looks at the condition of your heart. And the condition of your heart basically defines who you really are. I have so many personal quotes, but this is not one of them. Someone quoted and said, integrity is what you really do when no one is watching. And I find it a very potent saying.
Friends, many of us struggle to put up a show in the church, in public, and in what we do every single day. But we forget that what we really are away from the people and what we do in the secrets and comfort of our isolation is exactly who we are. Many of us are walking in things like, you know, immorality and, uh, and um, you know, sacred sin like pornography, masturbation, adultery, and stuff of that nature. And we do so much to convince everyone else how good we are, not knowing that it is more pertinent and important to deal with our private self rather than our public self. Friend, I don't speak as a man that is better than you in terms of who I have made myself, but I speak as one that has trodden this dirty trail at some point and struggled with private sin, and I know what a pain it entails. I speak to you as a man that was going to commit suicide because of private sin, because of hidden, consistent sin. I was struggling. For those of you that know my testimony, I may bore you, but a testimony doesn't change. I was basically struggling with pornography and masturbation for so many years. Now that wasn't really um, the hardest of things. The hardest of things was the fact that I put up a show in my public life. I was one of the most trusted and respected people in church, young men in church. I led a youth group and um, I read scriptures and I preached the gospel way at church. And while away from the church, what I did was completely different. The two of us were completely different and um, tied together in a skin would surely have ripped it open just like in the analogy of uh, the lion that i started with at the beginning of this message there is a man here that i want us to look at in second chronicles in chapter 8 and verse 12. you know i call this um the heart segment syndrome like your heart is segmented and it has all the dark room syndrome that's what i basically call it your heart is segmented and you basically have a dark room within your heart in days long gone, we had um, what we called the darkroom technology in uh, uh, the production of uh, um, the pictures or in photograph production. Basically, someone shot pictures and they went into a darkroom. Basically, it was a darkroom just like you hear it. There was basically no light and someone took a film and uh, developed it in there. Now, some of you that have grown up with this generation of um, the digital technology, you don't know what quite this meant. The dark room, in the dark room, no light was permitted to uh, go in there because the moment uh, this um, uh, film was exposed to uh, light, it would basically do what? Lose all the pictures and you lose it. This is why many people were called um, air shooters. Uh, oftentimes they showed the pictures, but the problem came with the production. When they came back, they would tell you, friend, <laughs> I lost the pictures. This is how they lost them, exposure to light. Jesus speaks about this in his, in his message in the gospel. I think that is uh, John chapter 3, must be verse 18, and he says, this is the offense that the light has come into the world and men have uh, desired darkness. I want you to listen to uh, this man here called Solomon in Second Chronicles chapter 8 and verse um, 12. I love it. Verse 11. Listen to this. The Bible teaches and says, Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the palace he had built for her. For he said, my wife must not live in the palace of David, king of Israel, because and the places <laughs> the ark of the Lord has entered are holy. 
on the altar of the Lord that he had built in front of the portico, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord according to the daily requirement for offerings commanded by Moses for the Sabbath and the new moons and the three annual festivals, uh, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. And just know that those were actually seven uh, festivals, but it's just mentioning the leading festivals that were uh, the precursor to uh, the rest of the festivals, except uh, the festival of weeks, which came as a single festival, but the rest of the other that is mentioning there uh, had three festivals in them. And in total, the Jews had seven festivals, all of which have implications uh, that point to Christ himself. They didn't have meaning per se on their own, but they basically had intense meaning that pointed to the coming of Christ. Okay. Our major focus is, is in verse 11 uh, that says Solomon brought a Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the palace he had built for her. For he said, my wife must not leave uh, the palace of David, must not live in the palace of David, king of Israel, because the places the ark of the Lord has entered are holy. <laughs> this is quite interesting. In uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse uh, 14, what the Lord does there is that he bans the kings of Israel from multiplying three things. One, women. Two, gold and silver. Three, horses and chariots. He basically barred them from uh, doing that. Reason being, these were a very a very potent source of um, um, potent um, potential corruption in the lives of the kings. Remember, the king came against the will of the Lord, but he granted him to be anyway. In First Samuel chapter eight, uh, the people of Israel went to the Lord and they said, "Give us a king, so that we may be like the rest of the nations. Uh, so we shall have him to lead us in our wars and everything." By so doing, they rejected the Lord. But even before this ever happened, God knew prophetically that they would uh, go right ahead and uh, demand for a king. So what he did was uh, he gave them some kind of um, restrictions and guidance that would help them. Now in uh, um, Deuteronomy chapter 17, what the Lord actually does is he cautions uh, the king and uh, gives him some kind of restraint that was going to exercise to ensure that he would uh, continue abiding in uh, within some kind of uh, boundary that would have kept him from leading the people of Israel into a perversion and spiritual uh, you know corruption. So one of the things he told he told them was not to uh, you know multiply wives for himself. But secondly, it was against the law and the requirement and the will of the Lord for any Israelites to go and uh, uh, marry a foreign wife. Uh, this is written in Exodus, uh, and uh, he says and he cautions them. And one reason was that they were going to turn the hearts of these people against the Lord. That is what he says. Must be Exodus what, 30, uh, 34, uh, around there. Uh, you, you, you check that up. But look at what Solomon does. Solomon goes right ahead and he and uh, he he seeks out uh, <laughs> this 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 woman wife of Pharaoh. Now this was fundamentally wrong why? Because it was some kind of alliance to kind of enlist protection from uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt as if the Lord himself could not have uh, given him or accorded him the sort of um, protection that he really really uh, needed. 
I want to read this from Exodus 34 in verse 15 so you can see that God was actually against this. He says in Exodus 34, 15, that be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. This was before they ever entered that land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. Verse 16, and when you choose as some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to the gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Don't make any idols and so on and so forth. You saw the reason? You see the reason? And for the king, the standard was even much more higher. So by Solomon going for Pharaoh's daughter, he didn't just know that it was wrong and fundamentally wrong. He also knew that it would affect his relationship with God. But look at what he chose to do in Second Chronicles 8. He goes right ahead and he says, Ah, these are holy places where the ark of the Lord was brought into into and therefore my wife cannot stay here so instead what am i going to do let me set up a palace for her instead of dealing away with this wife <laughs> praise the lord you see that solomon knows that fundamentally by default that what he's doing is actually against the will of the lord that by his grace and love appointed him as king of Israel. Remember that Adonijah actually had wanted, had usurped kingship away from him. But the Lord, by his mercy and grace and love, appointed him king. And he knows what he's doing is exactly wrong, but he goes right ahead and pursues it. But look at what he, he look at how he window dresses uh, this kind of thing. In verse 12, he says, On in verse 11, he says, of Second Chronicles 8, he says, Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David. City of David means Jerusalem. And when you go to Second Chronicles uh, in chapter 6 and verse 6, you're going to uh, realize that God had set Jerusalem apart for himself. He says in Second Chronicles 6, 6, but um, now I have chosen Jerusalem for my name to be there. And I've chosen David to rule my people, Israel. So when he speaks of the city of David, he's not speaking of anything else. He's speaking of Jerusalem. In Jerusalem is where God had chosen to have his name dwell. And friend, in those days, God had chosen to have his glory dwell in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. That is what he had chosen. You can find this in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 23. He had chosen to place all his glory in the Ark of the Covenant. And you remember that one day in a, here in Chronicles, uh, this man called Uzzah was struck by the Lord and he was struck dead just because of touching the Ark of the Covenant. So the presence of God indeed dwelt in Jerusalem, but specifically in the temple and specifically in the inner sanctuary and specifically in the Ark of the Covenant. So by Solomon saying this, he shows you that he exactly knew what he was doing. He understood what the requirement was upon him, but he chose to do uh, a, 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 you know, a shortcut. So this, this is basically what it was. And he says, ah, ah, this woman cannot continue staying here because, you know, the places where my father David dwelt and the ark of God dwelt are, are very holy places. And therefore, let me just take my wife away and then just go and set up a palace for her. What? Why don't you, Solomon, the wisest of men to ever have lived and graced the face of the earth, why don't you just get rid of this woman? Let her go. You see? This was the precursor and um, 
you know, the desire uh, to want um, uh, a great fall he was going to experience was going to be. Friend, it, it was opening up uh, the great fall that Solomon was going to fall away from the Lord. That is written in First uh, Kings chapter 11, verse 4, when he had a thousand wives. What? <laughs> Friends, it is easy to attack Solomon here, but this is exactly what many of us are doing in our generation. I want you to look at um, the phraseology of um, the name of uh, God that uh, Solomon refers to here. Look here, he says, Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the palace he had built for her. For he said, my wife must not live in the palace of David, king of Israel, because the places, the ark of the Lord has entered are holy. Now listen to this. The term that Solomon uses to refer to God here is, if you have NIV, and actually most of your Bibles, except Luganda, are going to have the name Lord in capital. Now that name is in Hebrew is interpreted to mean Yahweh. Yahweh in Hebrew is not a name that you can mention. He didn't exactly mention it. But of course the writer here mentions it for us to understand what Solomon was meaning. Yahweh is a name in Hebrew which means uh, the redeeming covenant keeping God. You cannot use that name except if you have a relationship with God. Now you can see that Solomon exactly at some point had gotten into a deep, intimate, passionate relationship with God. But look, even when he had a relationship with him, he goes right ahead and is missing and is not willing to break out of the mess, but is willing to window dress and cosmetically treat his mess. Just keep it away from the Lord and you are going to be saved. As if God was not going to be in the palace that he had constructed. Oh dear God have mercy. Friend, you can see the disposition of the heart of Solomon. Solomon is a man who knew exactly what God demanded of him, but was bent on doing the wrong thing. Why? Because it pleased him. Typical Adamic problem, typical Adamic anointing. And this is what many of us do. Friend, this was the heart of hearts of Solomon. And on the outside, let me show you this. He went right ahead and continued with the motions of worship. Look at verse 12. After hiding this woman away and constructing a palace for her, look at what Solomon goes right ahead to do. Here, in verse 12, look at what the Bible teaches and says, On the altar of the Lord, same name, Yahweh, is being used here, that he had built in front of the portico. Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord, according to the daily requirement for offerings commanded by Moses for the Sabbath, the new moons and the three annual festivals, and he mentions them, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and those who are seven friends, and the festival of tabernacles. Friend, I want you to realize this. While Solomon's heart was completely um, not uh, dedicated to the Lord, on the outside, he was keeping every requirement of the law as far as worship was concerned. This is where the problem is today. Friends, I'm speaking to someone this morning that in your heart of hearts, even as we cultivate our hearts for the, for, for the Lord, in your heart of hearts, you know, you're in the worship team, you come to church and you lift up your holy hands to, to honor the Lord. And you have that wonderful sp soprano antenna and alto, you know, in the church. And when you worship, every single person is touched and people are slain in the spirit and you're duped by that. But you know, when you leave that, you go into that funny, illicit sex relationship, sexual relationship with your body boyfriend you know that that is happening friend i say that because i used to live that like like that at some point 
read scriptures, preached the gospel as a young man, but I was messing up in pornography and masturbation. Now, your heart of hearts defines who you are. Your heart uh, actually defines who you are on your inside. God looks at your heart. In Matthew 15, 19, he says, For out of the heart flow evil thoughts, immorality, adultery, murder, and all those kind of things. And he says, that is what spoils a man. But eating without washing your hands doesn't spoil you. In other words, what comes from without a man can never corrupt them, but what comes from within of a man is what corrupts them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. In the book of Haggai, in chapter 2, from verse 10, the Bible teaches and says, if you're carrying your sacrifice in a, your holy garment uh, and your garment uh, touches uh, anything else, it doesn't make it holy. But it says, if a priest goes and touches a dead body and they go, uh, they shall corrupt the sacrifice. Why? Because this dead body represented sin and sin comes from the heart. That is what it means. You see? But what we do in church it doesn't matter how high you raise your, your, your hands. It doesn't matter how, how deep your, your, your voice and how sharp it is and how and you know touching it is to the people. It does not make you holy. It doesn't. That is what that passage basically there means. You understand that, friend? But many times we are bent on uh, what people are seeing on the outside, and yet our heart of hearts basically is what God is concerned about. And your heart determines your relationship with God. Your heart of hearts defines who you are, my friend. What is in your heart? Many of us are bent on convincing people how good we are. Many of us are very good people outside there at work. But when we come back home, people are running and they are fleeing and children are hiding under the beds and our wives are shaking like leaves in the storm. You see that, my friend? How long are we going to take convincing people and uh, not convincing ourselves and God? Because those two cannot be convinced by ourselves. You just can't. Friends, this is what God is speaking about here. You know that you're messing in your heart of hearts. Instead of wasting time convincing people, take time putting your heart right with the Lord, friends. Your heart reflects the real condition of your life. The word of the Lord teaches that um, um, the Lord is close unto the brokenhearted and he heals their wounds. He is close unto those that are broken in their hearts. David speaks about the sacrifice of the Lord being a contrite spirit and broken heart. That is what he speaks about. The difference between Solomon and David, his father, was that David messed up big time. But every time the word of the Lord came to David, David was quick to break down and repent and turn around. And friends, that is why God is not shy to speak about David and say, I found a man that is after my own heart. That is the difference between Solomon and David. That is the difference between David and Saul. That is the difference between David and so many other people. He messed up, but his heart was essentially after God, and he knew how to break down in repentance and seek the Lord. Friends, God is inviting us in our hearts of hearts to break down. Praise the Lord. We are messing in immorality and sleeping and having this illicit sex wherever we go. And then on Sunday, we are coming. People are having all these fetishes and uh, and de demonic worship altars, demonic altars in their houses. These days they are fashioned in a special way and they are very important positions in church. Friend, you're not fooling anyone but yourself. You can fool everyone else around you, but you can't fool yourself and neither can you fool God. 
And the problem is when the D-Day comes, when the Day of Judgment comes, my friend, let me just tell you, you just cannot make it, but you still have chance today to streamline your life in accordance with the will of the Lord. The Spirit of God is calling out unto you, and He surely is shouting, and He says, Here I am. No religion can help you except if you come to Christ. That is what it is. Friends, our hearts of hearts basically determine who we are, and you cannot be pleasing to God as a holy aroma, except if the condition of your heart is streamlined and uh, basically aligned to the will of the Lord. And this is why he says in Matthew 5, 8, that blessed are the pure in heart, for they will surely see God. Friends, the condition of your heart also determines whether you're going to have peace or no. When I lived in a lot of deep sin, uh, I came out after sinning and basically you came to people and did matter what they were doing. It didn't matter how much money you had. It didn't matter whether they are coming or they are comforting you. Let me just tell you one thing. You felt isolated even in the midst of the public. That was what basically it was. Uh, my dear friend, That is uh, that is what it is. He says, I shall keep him in perfect peace. You shall keep him in perfect peace. He who has his heart steadied on you or fixed or focused on you. The reason we don't have peace is because in our heart of us, we know that we are not standing right with God. In public, we appear like we are standing well with God. But in our hearts of us, we are not. Friend, how long are you going to walk that kind of life and treat the cause of peacelessness just because you want to you know, save face before people. How long? How long, my brother? How long, my sister? Today, I'll end here, but I want to pray that God will empower you. Just uh, ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life and examine the condition of your heart, even as we cultivate our hearts for the Lord. Your heart of hearts determines exactly who you are. May you surrender your condition or the condition of your heart to the Lord, and He will surely sort, sort you out. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you.